0: Welcome to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association. Available free to members of the bar as well as the public. We feature lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about MBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matters to all of us. I'm Jordan Rich. Today on the Mass Bar Beat podcast, we're focusing on a major international news story with implications all over, the coronavirus. And there are certainly tons of issues connected to the virus, how it spreads, a possible vaccine, morbidity, But we're gonna be talking about its impact already being felt on the workplace, particularly in the United States. Joining us is attorney Jacqueline McNeely, an associate with Morgan, Brown & Joy, a law firm in Boston specializing in all aspects of labor and employment law. She recently wrote an article for the Human Resource Executive Magazine called How Employers Can Manage Employees During the Coronavirus Crisis. I'm sure you have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. Let's get some answers. So there's a lot of stuff to weed through, and much of it is ever-changing, which makes it difficult for any of us, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, this has been ongoing, and I think the first time I started looking at and writing about this was back in January, and that was towards the end of the month. But even now, we're at the beginning of March, and already so much has changed and developed since that point.
0: This can affect everybody in almost any field, in any employment situation, factories, corporate offices, right?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And it's affecting how many countries, roughly, as we record this?
1: The last time I was looking at this, it was over 75 at that point. And I think there's been new cases reported in other countries since then. So it's rapidly growing.
0: The world's a pretty small place and we have airline travel just round the clock and people traveling on ships, planes, etc. This makes it even more challenging.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh,
0: let's examine what some of the issues are. I'll start with the discrimination question. What do we have to watch out for?
1: So an issue that comes to mind when you're thinking of an illness that has been associated with specific geographic regions is potential national origin discrimination. And one form of discrimination can be stereotyping. So a classic example is some employees in the workplace making assumptions about a coworker who might be from a country that's been affected, for example, a a colleague from China, making an assumption that that employee might be of greater risk of developing the illness or might be at a greater risk of exposure and kind of making those sorts of assumptions. Those Mm -hmm. kinds of things are, are what employers should look to avoid and be training their employees and reminding their employees that, such conduct is not going to be tolerated um, and that it will be dealt with in the manner consistent with the employer's anti-discrimination harassment
0: policies. Now, that doesn't people who have just traveled to these places, come back from China, Italy, Iran, or any of these places. Is that a different category? Because you're talking about places where the infection has been high.
1: No, it's not necessarily going to be the fact that they've traveled from there. And it's based on the employee's membership in a protected class and national origin being one of the protected classes. So travel doesn't really fit within that mold. It's really based on the employee's national origin.
0: So these are laws that are in effect that employers should know about and employees should know about.
1: Absolutely. I think employers need to be having anti-discrimination policies in effect um, at all times. And I think most employers, hopefully all employers, are are well-versed in the relevant anti-discrimination laws that apply to them.
0: You're making recommendations, let's suggest, to employers if and when certain things happen. And one of the recommendations is figuring out a way to allow employees to work from home.
1: Right, right. I think that's probably the ideal situation. I think the CDC has and other organizations have opined that that's probably the best case scenario is if an employee can kind of self-quarantine and stay home and then they can do their work and not kind of disrupt the, the work flow, but also make sure that if they are sick or they've been exposed to somebody who is sick they're not at risk of transmitting that to their co-workers and other people around them
0: an incubation period of what two to fourteen days <laughs> that's correct is what's talked about and uh, we still don't know how it we do know how it spreads but we don't know how long the disease or the the virus remains active on a surface let's say these are all changing pieces to this puzzle, aren't they?
1: They are. I haven't read any definitive uh, information as to how long the disease can, to, can stick around on a surface or even how long the, the uh, illness will present itself.
0: So this gives employers uh, a big old headache to think, we don't know how long this is going to go on.
1: Yeah, I think that people are, you know, nervous and understandably so that, you know, what if we're looking at a, a multi-week shutdown of our our organization and that's obviously something that an employer is going to want to avoid if they can. So encouraging employees to, you know, work from home if they can or stay home and use their sick time if they're if they're not feeling well is going to be, you know, a In their best interest.
0: You say in the article that employers must be mindful of all legal obligations, we've been talking about that, and uh, cannot prioritize employee health and safety over providing the workplace free from unlawful discrimination. That's a mouthful but (laughs) it's so critical and so to not cross that line. What are you noticing out in the field?
1: Uh, It's definitely come up and it has been, it's a tricky situation and a very delicate balancing uh, act for the employer. Um, And I think the best scenario in this is to contact your legal counsel and Mm -hmm. discuss it with them because it is going to be a very fact-specific and individualized scenario. There's really not a a one-size-fits-all solution to these situations. So I think you're going to be best situated if you're talking with your counsel and who can advise you on the law and decide what the best course is for your particular situation.
0: And as we discuss these issues on this date, Friday, March 6th, word is that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of test kits that are being prepared and sent. Because testing has not yet occurred in great numbers, we're still in a in a gray zone, aren't we? Uh, We still don't know who might be carrying the disease.
1: Of course, and I, I think what I have heard is that, you know, some Some people might have the symptoms, but with that long incubation period, they're—I'm sorry, they might have the illness, but Mm -hmm. with the incubation period being as long as it is, we're not going to know if they're transmitting it to others without them having actual symptoms.
0: That's right, which makes it just so— confusing and scary. Uh, At the same time, as I said to you prior to coming on the air, we were uh, lucky enough, my wife and I, to be at a, a big event for the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Institution last night, and doctors were on a panel, and they were asked questions about this, and they were sort of reassuring in the sense that... Uh, This is not a plague. It's a disease that will affect people who are immune deficient to begin with, older people. But as we all know, many, many, many people die every year from the flu, tragically. So let's move on to another area, and that's travel and the travel restrictions. Where do we stand right now as you and I record this as to who can travel from where and how? What do you know?
1: So right now, the CDC has issued a Level 3 travel uh, notice for China, Iran, South Korea, and Italy. So that means that, if possible, avoid all non-essential travel to any of those areas. I think goes without saying, employers should not be sending their employees to those areas for any sort of business. Like reschedule the trip or see if there's other alternatives, if there can be a teleconference in lieu of meeting in person, that would be the best strategy. Um, I think most people are you know, taking those precautions. I have heard discussions about the Olympics this year and what they're going to do with mm-hmm. that. So I'm mm-hmm. sure employers are, or at least I hope employers are taking those steps to avoid any sort of non-essential travel. Now
0: that travel ban is not permanent, obviously. What Do you know the length of time on these bans at this point?
1: I haven't seen any sort of time associated with the bans. I mean,
0: we can assume that it's not forever. We can assume mm-hmm. that it's until this crisis, depending on how you define a crisis, is over or coming to an end. What about folks who are traveling from affected countries they're traveling through other non-affected places and coming into the US? We know there are screening efforts underway at these various airports. Anything beyond that we should know?
1: Yeah, I understand that there are certain air- airports that are or certain designated airports that are the ones allowing flights in from China. I haven't heard of any other particular locations that are restricted as of this point, but mm-hmm. I mean, we're, this is obviously a developing situation. So we're, we're continuing, continuing to monitor this every day and getting as much information as we can.
0: When you look at what happened at the, uh, the center of it all in China, and you realize they may be getting it under control, but they also have an authoritarian state, it brings to mind the balance between freedom and liberty and responsibility. We don't want to give up our freedom at the same time. We have to protect the public.
1: Right. So I think from an employer standpoint, and it's also going back to dealing with the managing the workplace and maintaining a healthy and safe working environment. You don't want to be restricting what your employees are doing off the clock. Mm-hmm. You can't be telling your employees, "Oh, you can't." You know, you can't travel to this particular location. Um, you can certainly, you know, recommend that they avoid any non-essential travel and follow the guidance of the CDC and other health officials. Right. But I think, you know, the employer is really best equipped to, you know, continue communicating with the, the employees as to how they're going to manage the situation but avoid kind of stepping in where they shouldn't to really regulate the employees off-duty conduct.
0: Jacqueline, what about the question of sick time and who's responsible for paying additional sick time, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, that's a question that has come up quite a bit is, you know, if these people are going to be out, do we have to pay them? And the answer simply is no, but you know, if, if it's possible, there are certain you know, employee morale concerns that if mm. you can pay the employee, you should. So obviously, sick leave is one avenue. The employee could use whatever sick leave they have. There also may be other forms of leave that they could use, like personal days or other forms of paid time off the employer might permit them to use. God forbid this situation becomes more of a long-term illness for an employee. There might be disability policies that come into play, like short-term disability. Um, but again, an employer could make an exception or sort of a temporary policy that would allow employees to be paid during this time, given that it is you know, such a, a high-risk situation mm-hmm. and where they want to employ, uh, encourage employees to stay home.
0: So Jacqueline, so much of what we're talking about is personal or company responsibility, and we are going to be relying on people to make the right choice. Have you noticed, uh, obviously in the news we see, but have you noticed among friends and colleagues and clients that people are starting to make sound decisions? And if they're not, what should they be doing?
1: Well, I think at this point where we are specifically located in Boston, there haven't been very many confirmed cases yet. I think I just heard of the third this morning. So At this point, I think it's a little bit premature, but I do feel that people are really paying attention to this, given how much this is on the news. Um, And they might, and I, I would hope that they would strongly consider staying home and seeking the advice of a doctor sooner rather than later in the event that they do develop some sort of uh, illness. Mm. I think a lot of us are inclined to, at the first signs of a cold, you know, take some day quill and power through it. And I hope that people will kind of take a step back and say, no, let me stay home and take advantage of the work-from-home arrangement or, you know, the sick time that I have.
0: That is true. Uh, One of the doctors I was meeting with last night said it might have a positive impact, believe it or not, at least in the States, death toll from the influenza virus. Will probably drop. Why? Because people are actually washing their hands and taking extra steps to avoid crowds, things like that.
1: Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. And I think I've I've seen a lot of employers are taking you know whatever steps they can in the actual working environment to ensure that you know soap dispensers are full and extra hand sanitizer and uh, Lysol or sanitary wipes mm. are provided. So, you know, I think it's a it's a positive. Reaction with respect to any sort of illness being spread throughout the wintertime or any season, that they're taking these measures to ensure that you know these these germs are being killed as as much as possible.
0: If an employee feels he or she is being discriminated against, if there's any inkling, what's the first step, HR or legal counsel within the company? And if not, what should they do?
1: It depends on the employer and, frankly, the size of the employer. The first step might be reaching out to HR, but it also might be reaching out to their supervisor. Generally, there's going to be an anti-discrimination and harassment policy that should direct the employee where they can go with any concerns, and hopefully the employee will take advantage of those resources and the employer can manage the situation before it, you know, turns into something more significant.
0: There's one more important issue I want to cover with you today, Jacqueline, and that is the question of privacy. What an employee owns in terms of his medical record privacy. These kinds of stories that are affecting the entire world could upset the apple cart here. What's your take on that?
1: So. Obviously, there are various laws in the U.S. that protect an employee's privacy, especially with respect to medical information. I think the first one that comes to mind is HIPAA, mm-hmm. which technically doesn't apply to employers because they're not considered covered entities within the meaning of that law. But essentially, employers should act as though they were subject to it. Um, obviously, employee medical information is you know, very confidential, and the ADA actually requires that employees, employers maintain a separate medical file. Um, of any sort of medical information from an employee. And they should really tread carefully in the area of Asking an employee too many questions that might, you know, implicate a disability. Really, there the ADA prohibits employers from asking questions that are designed to uh, elicit a disability disclosure from the employee. So, think a classic example is asking employee an employee if he or she is considered, you know, at higher risk for developing a coronavirus. So that might lead the employee to say, you know, I had you know cancer treatments over the past year, so my immune system is compromised. That would be prohibited under the okay. ADA. So those sort of inquiries should be avoided.
0: All right. You've given us a whole lot of things to think about. We hope that three months or even less than now, this will be past us. It's not. It's here now. So it's important to uh, to get these kinds of uh, important pieces of information out there. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing with us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And by the way, stay well.
1: <laughs> you too. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Mass Bar B podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. If you're a consumer in need of legal assistance, contact the MassBar Association's Lawyer Referral Service. You can call them at 866-627-7577. Once again, that's 866-627-7577. Or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association, and we invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich thanking you for listening.